What is the mark? What is the one thing that distinguishes a true believer from the rest of the world? And without evidence of this one thing, the person may not even be saved. Let's think about a couple of things that would be obvious to us. Take, for example, church attendance. But here's what I think. I think going to church no more proves you're a Christian than driving a car proves you have auto insurance. What about reading the Bible? I think reading the Bible no more proves you're a Christian than writing a check proves you have money in the bank. What about fasting and praying? Well, I think fasting and praying no more proves you're a Christian than marrying someone proves you love them. I mean, think about the assumptions that we make based on the way things look. There's so much danger within that. And it's so easy for someone to practice a religion without having a relationship with God. When I ask people about their relationship with God, 95 plus percent of the time, you know what response I get? I haven't been to church in a while. I haven't gone to church in a while is their answer. And what I think is that in my generation, we've done such a good job of promoting and idolizing church attendance and being in a certain building at a certain time that basically we've built an empire around this. And the sum and the depth of our theology is Hebrews 10.25, Jeremiah 29.11, and Romans 8.28. And then we wonder why when we introduce people to something so shallow, they don't latch onto it and see it the way we do and make a commitment to keep coming back week after week and opening their Bible and fasting and praying. So my point is, is that the Pharisees also did all those things. They attended the synagogue, they read from the book of the law, and they fasted and they prayed. I mean, they were good at it. They were the best at it in society, you know, as a whole. It was just this small group of of a religious sect that was able to do these things with such vigor and and with such uh, preciseness that no one could compete with them when it came to spiritual things. And yet, they did not know God. And yet, Jesus rebuked them way more than he ever rebuked any sinners. At every turn, the Lord was putting these Pharisees in their place. And I think besides the one or two that we know about in scripture, none of these religious zealots even made heaven. I feel like this should put the fear of God in the heart of every Christian that we can be so close yet so far away at the same time. So now back to my question, what then is the mark? What is the distinguishing thing that sets a Christian apart from the rest of society. Stay tuned to find out. I am living in a generation and a time where I'm watching Christianity be cheapened. And even so, by the things that I mentioned a moment ago, reading the Bible, fasting, praying, going to church. When you do those things, when you put 
works before faith or you substitute faith with works then it, it just it adulterates the whole relationship with God and it becomes just a religious thing and it becomes something heavy that you have to keep up with and and honestly I do feel like in this generation we've substituted works for a relationship with God because it's because at some point it just becomes easier to try to achieve and earn something than it does to you know have faith and believe but then there's this other end of the spectrum too that I feel like in this generation and we've got it bad is that it you know some people don't follow up their faith with good works and so there are people who just say they believe they say they believe but then they don't really have a lifestyle they don't really have you know any we, there's nothing about them that we can point to to say that they are like God based on what we read in scripture and so on both ends of the deal you know in in talking about what marks a true believer and what is a distinguishing factor the distinguishing thing that separates Christians from everyone else in society we want to be able to look at the the things that I'm calling works or that I'm calling um you know the fruits and works of righteousness we want to be able to look at those things and say aha that person is following Jesus unfortunately as I mentioned in my opener that as far as the Pharisees goes they and the Sadducees and all of them they were the most religious people of their day but when you looked on the inside of who they were, which is what Jesus was always constantly doing, when you look, when he looked at the inside of who they were, there, they, there was no, there was no life of God in them. There was no love in their hearts. Um, there was no consideration in their minds. They, they basically, they kept covenant with God um, the way that Moses told them to. But then, the Jewish nation of people they had some leaders over several hundreds of years that had added lots of more rules and 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 lots of more decrees and expectations and so they were essentially keeping people out of a relationship with God because they were making about making it about all these external things and so we we want to make sure as believers that we're not doing that that we're not making it hard for people to come to Christ and to get what they need if you look in the scriptures and really study out how Jesus responded to religious people versus the way he responded to sinners. And even look at how sinners versus religious people responded to him. It tells a, a really like compelling and interesting story. People who were sinful or demon-possessed, had unclean spirits, needed healing, whatever. I mean, these were people that would run toward him and kneel. Um, these are people who would call out his name as he's walking down the road. These were people who would get his attention because they needed something from him and they knew they had a need and Jesus responded to them with compassion and gave them what they needed um, the woman that was caught in adultery I mean she needed somebody to show her mercy and so Jesus did he defended her by telling those those religious fools again hey if you're without sin cast the first stone which none of them could do I mean they spent their whole lives trying to make up for their sins by being righteous and so he told that woman afterwards go and sin no more and so she kind of had the better part of the deal because she got like the blessing from god she got the encouragement from god she got the compassion and you know rather than stick around and and hear what god's conversation was with her by the time jesus looked up again after riding on the ground he's like where's all your accusers woman where'd they go and so when it comes to then how religion responded to Christ and how Christ responded to religion there there was always like altercation that was going on there was always static um, and it's because religion in the heart of man 
is very much about you know vindication and justification and and purification and doing all of those things in one's own strength and and those things are perceived as holy things and there are i mean in the pharisees they came from a good place right they they were following the law doing what moses said they they thought that they had it all together they were coming from a good place right because god's law matters it still matters under this covenant too that didn't change just because jesus christ who is the word of god who is the law fulfilled the law and did it in human flesh none of that has changed but the problem is is that there was such a spirit of piety about these pharisees that if they were you know if you looked at them as like gatekeepers then they weren't letting anybody in the gate and that's why Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. That's why the uh, John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers. And <laughs> because there were people who kind of had the skinny and they had the market on spiritual things. And they were, you know, holding others to these standards that they themselves couldn't even keep. Listen to what Jesus said to these Pharisees in John chapter 5. And I just find this very interesting. I think that this kind of goes along with how I said in my opener that no more reading the Bible it no more proves you're a christian than writing a check proves you have money in the bank i mean think about that just because you see someone writing a check can you conclude that they really have money in the bank how many people bounce checks right so how many people are professing to be christians when really their heart is far from god so in john 5 jesus said in verse 39 to the pharisees you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life but the scriptures point to me and then in verse 40 jesus says yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. And so if we're not careful in, in trying to um, have the things of the kingdom of God, if we're not careful, we're going to kind of, you know, get stuck reading the black words on white paper uh, between the leather bindings and, and the knowledge and the wisdom and everything that we get that comes from that, we can get confused into, into thinking that we have all we need from God. And, you know, Genesis to Revelation is, is just a revelation of who God is. It's not all of who God is. He, he cannot be contained within a book. And, and it even says that in one of the Gospels, that even like the miracles that Jesus was performing in front of his disciples, there, were, there wouldn't be enough books written in all of human history to even contain the things that he said to them and showed them. And who knows in, in what span of time they had the, the capacity to even absorb everything that he said and showed them. Like that's, that's how like amazing and out of this world God really is. And so I, I think with scriptures like John 5, 39 through 40, Jesus was admonishing these religious zealots to not get so caught up in this form of religion, in this form of piety. Um, and, and basically, when it comes to eternal life, you still have to go through Christ. There is a relationship that Abraham had with God. And I, and I just have studied that out and I've looked at that and I've considered that. And I've always just thought that that was amazing. He's the father of our faith. Abraham was able to figure out how to have a relationship with God before there was ever the law of Moses, before there was ever the priesthood of Levi, before there was ever a temple for him to go to and offer any sacrifice. How did he figure that out? And I really feel like if my generation would study that Abrahamic faith, stop disregarding the Old Testament and actually look at Abraham's relationship with God, how, how did he do that? That will help us take some of this emphasis and some of this idolatry and some of this requirement 
that we put on people to forsake not the gathering. We stop beating people over the head with Hebrews 10.25 and back up to Hebrews 10.24 and work through that together. Because Abraham was able to figure this thing out and it was a faith covenant. So the covenant of the old and the covenant of the new, they are both faith covenants. You can't enter into them without having faith in God. And then more, more to the point, faith in Jesus Christ, because it is his name by which we are saved. And so, you know, keeping covenant with God in the last days, it, it's going to be difficult because believers are going to be called upon to stand uh, with the word of God and to stand with the kingdom of God and with those principles in a society and in a world that is totally uh, and violently like against it. You know, right now in my nation, there's just lie after lie after lie being told to us about things going on, you know, over in the Middle East and in Europe and even right here on our own soil because we don't have a way to go and verify facts ourselves. We have to trust the things that people say and the things that people write. But you need, but you need, really need God to help you to discern those things. Or even in relationship with other people in your life, let's bring it a scale down from politics and just say, hey, from, you know, from the family members you may live with or the extended family or the people you have to do business with, etc. You want to be able to trust that the things that they tell you and the things that they say are, are lining up with whatever the truth really is in the situation. And so keeping covenant with God requires that we always set our, ourselves out for, for having that truth dominate our lives and that we apply the scriptures to every single aspect. We don't look to the scriptures to be saved. We look to the scriptures who point that point to Christ and putting our faith in Christ is how we are then saved. We continue to study the scripture because we want to continue to get revelation of God. And so finally then, you know, well then what is the mark of a true believer? What is that thing that distinguishes a Christian from the rest of society? I'm going to read to you from John chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Nicodemus exclaimed. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So if you really want to know what that one thing is, what that mark, what that distinguishing mark is that sets a believer apart from any other person on this planet, don't just look at their church attendance and their faithful service Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, etc., etc. Don't just look at the fact that they study the scriptures a lot. I mean, there are a lot of people who love knowledge, and so it's good to have biblical knowledge. And then you can't even look at the fact that a person fasts and prays. All of those things are good, and all of those things should be the good works that you that that come from the life of Christianity. But make no mistake, the one distinguishing thing that separates a Christian from every other person in society is the mark of being born again of the Holy Spirit. A true believer in Jesus Christ, there will be evidence that the Holy Spirit is with them.
and working in their life.